Welcome to St. James Lutheran Church and School, Chicago. I hope and pray that the following message blesses you with peace and hope in Christ, who died and rose for you, for free. It is yours. If you'd like to support God's mission of giving life, hope, peace, joy, and love in the city of Chicago, go to stjames-lutheran.org. Peace. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Heavenly Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So something I do, maybe it's a little bit odd, is that I like to keep track of the things that I read. Sometimes this is the books I've read in any given year. I keep a list of them, and I track the subjects and what I read from month to month. And sometimes this comes in the form of articles that I've read, keeping a list of things that I've engaged with. And I've found that what it helps me to do is to sort of see patterns in my thinking, right? See what subjects I'm drawn to, how often, etc. And in preparation both for Lent and for this sermon, I think you'll notice a clear picture emerge from the articles that I've been engaging with. So far we have Teach Me How to Pray, Growing in the Grace of Prayer, Prayer in God's Story, People are prayer first, and are you overthinking prayer? And I think from this ever-lengthening list of articles, we can say unequivocally that the answer is yes. Many of us, including myself, are overthinking prayer. But it's kind of a Lenten thing to do. Jesus says that Lent, or rather we take Jesus' words, and we say this shapes our Lenten spirituality in three things, by three things. And that's through prayer, through fasting, and through giving alms. So it's kind of right that we spend a lot of time thinking about, wondering about prayer. What it is, how are we doing, how well are we doing it, etc. But the struggle I found is that the more that we talk about it, I find that sometimes prayer sort of loses its meaning, right? It's like a word that you repeat over and over and over again, and suddenly you're just hearing phonetic sounds and you're not hearing the word itself anymore. So at risk of doing that, we're going to ask ourselves some core questions about prayer. How should we pray? And two Wednesdays ago, I mentioned in our midweek service that prayer is more than simple wish fulfillment, right? Asking God for stuff and hoping to get that or receive something along those lines. And it's also more than just well-wishing. Sometimes we use prayer that way, right? Well-wishing on behalf of others, maybe trying to kind of argue God into our perspective and our point of view, this sort of a thing. Instead, prayer is that kind of spiritual space wherein we enter into conversation with God. Yes, and that's awesome. But also, I would say it's God's way of shaping and changing us in order for us to see what he's doing in the world around us, right? In order we might, that we might see uh, his present action. I'm always reminded of Jeremiah when he says, Uh, rather God says through Jeremiah for I know the plans I have for you says the Lord plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope so that's kind of what we have at the forefront of our mind when we're looking for what God is already doing so again prayer brings us online with God as we kind of see the way that God is acting around us 
And this can sometimes come in the form of a concrete answer to prayer. Many people share those stories with me as a pastor about how they prayed for healing and then healing was granted, and that's fantastic when that happens. But prayer can also take on a broader connotation as well, right? Prayer can also be uh, those times when we see what God has already done in, in creating us, in sustaining us each day, even in redeeming us through Christ's sacrifice, right? Through his life, death, and resurrection. And again, I think that we can see prayer then as being about us, surely, but also about what God is doing. And I think of the Our Father in particular. We pray all these things, and we know that it's certainly true of us. Why? Because it's true about Christ first and foremost. We can pray Our Father, who art in heaven, and we can rightly say God is our Father. Why? Because it's true of Christ Jesus, the perfect son, and through baptism, we're declared to be a member of God's household. That's one example. We can pray, thy kingdom come, and just like we talked about during the children's sermon, we know that the kingdom has come. How? Because Christ has taken on flesh, right? God has become incarnate, bringing the kingdom into the here and now in a small way. And that's the beautiful image of what happens in communion, right? We confess that every time we gather together for the Eucharist, that we gather together with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven. So in this gloriously understated way, heaven comes crashing into the here and now. And again, we can see that in a prayerful way, the way that God comes into our lives and the way he's already doing miraculous things that we often take for granted, that we often overlook just by nature of who we are as people. But again, I come back to this core question of how do we avoid then overthinking prayer if we feel that there's maybe some danger in taking these things for granted? How do we grow in our prayer lives, right? Not just to survive, but in fact, to thrive as well. I know for myself, I felt, like I talked about in those articles, the need to seek out some sort of expertise, Right? Someone who must have it all figured out. And this was certainly true during the Reformation era as well. People thought that they had to consult you know, the priests or the nuns or the monks because they must be particularly prayerful and therefore holy people. We have to go to them for some sort of answer. So imagine the shock, perhaps the horror, when Martin Luther says that in fact the monks, the nuns, the priests are not particularly prayerful, nor are they particularly holy, Instead, Martin Luther claimed that the farmer working in his field, the mom changing diapers, was just as prayerful as the Pope himself. Which maybe even for us today, that might seem wrong at face value. How can that possibly be that people in their ordinary daily tasks are just as prayerful, just as holy as someone like the Pope? And I think here's why. At its core, Christianity isn't something that's separate from creation, right? It's not separate from the world around us. And by that I mean God is always working in and through creation in order to accomplish his plans, in order to work out our grace, our holiness. Think about how Christ Jesus lived all these years fairly anonymously as a carpenter, right? Working at his trade, presumably. And I always think of that as a wonderful example of the way that Christ sanctifies, makes holy our own work, right? Our daily tasks are things that we do alongside friends, neighbors, family. So I would say every part of creation, from the littlest of our routines, our daily tasks, to the big things in life that we accomplish, find their their right orientation, their proper understanding, their meaning in relationship 
to God. So how then do we practice holiness, practice prayerfulness, practice grace with that in mind? And I would say we do it through everyday practices. And I think for parents in particular, I think they really get this, right? How do we learn to be merciful? How do we learn to be full of grace? How do we learn to be prayerfully patient with those around us? I think it's through this pattern of blessing and then of sending. And again, keep that parent analogy in mind, right? Blessing, we're first told by God that we are forgiven. Grace is yours in Christ Jesus. There's the blessing. And then by passing that forward, right? There's the sending part. We give that away in the same measure or measure that we've received it. So mercy, I would say, is that thing that shapes and transforms us through the mechanism of our lives. And I'm always reminded of this whenever I watch my wife and Phoebe interact, right? Because parents, again, you know how difficult the task is. You know how stressed out you can be, how, you know, upset you can often find yourself alongside of your child. And yet, when I see Michaela comfort an angry toddler, right, being first blessed and then sending it on their way, I think we are able to see the way that God shapes us into a prayerful people through our ordinary tasks, right? Through the things that are already set before us, blessed by God in our particular circumstance. That's who we are. And then sending it toward the people that we meet, the people that we interact with, the people that God gives us in our lives. And what I love is that the Benedictine monks had a wonderful way of expressing this. And it's something that I've tried to incorporate into my own prayer life and spirituality. And what I'm talking about here is one monk who said it this way. He said, prayer and the Christian life really is made up of ora et labora. For those not speaking Latin, it's prayer and work. And so then one monk particularly expressed this this way. I think it's beautiful. He said, the time of business does not with me differ from the time of prayer And in the noise and clatter of my kitchen, I possess God in as great a tranquility as if I were upon my knees at the blessed sacrament. I think it's really hard for us to think of prayer this way, for us to conceptualize it this way, because it's difficult to see each moment in our lives as something that's sanctified, as something that's prayerful. We think of our stressful days in the office our tired moments with family, the busyness of our lives with friends, and it's very difficult to see these as prayerful experiences. And yet through these things, God's accomplishing what he wants to set out to do, right? This is the way he operates. Through the grace that we're sometimes forced to display toward those around us, we get a small little glimpse of the much greater mercy, the much greater grace that God hands out to us in full measure, right? So there's kind of a a picture of the small grace that we display toward one another that then shows us, points us towards the much greater grace that God demonstrates toward us as well. And so another way of thinking about this, the way that prayer is something that's active in our lives from moment to moment can be seen by practices that many in the church have adopted. And one that I love, especially in the Eastern Orthodox tradition, is their praying of the so-called Jesus prayer. Um, And they would do this prayer throughout the day, so it almost kind of became a rhythm, right? It was just something that sort of operated in the background. And the prayer goes like this. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. 
And I've always really liked that prayer as just part of my daily routine. Why? Because it reminds me of the most essential things about my faith when I fall short, right? When I, when I fall short in my role as a father, when I speak an unkind word to somebody at work, something along these lines, I come back to rhythmically, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And what I like about this prayer is it's delightfully disarming, right? Because first and foremost, it confronts us with who we are. There's no way around it. I'm a sinner. And so therefore, we think of ourselves through that light, right? What is sin? Sin's ugly. It hurts relationships. It stresses people out, etc. And it's also what Jesus then came to take away. In other words, it's who Jesus came for. That's right there in that prayer as well. So when I fail in my own responsibility of this sort of uh, blessing and then sending that I'm supposed to do, I'm able to not only just come back to this prayer, but I would also say come back to um, a position of discipleship, right? To sit at the feet of Christ Jesus, to once again receive the blessing that sinners are exactly who Jesus came for, sort of like Mary, right, who sits and learns at the feet of Jesus. And then from there, I'm able to once again go about those acts of service, right? Sent out like Martha, who then once again serves those who, is, who have gathered together in her household. So again, we think about that. Blessed by the good news and then sent, ready to pass it along in our prayerful tasks and activities that were given by God as a parent, as a spouse, as a coworker, as a friend, etc. So prayer, when it becomes part of that daily conversation that we're having with God, that rhythm of our life, becomes hopefully something of a refuge for us from moment to moment. And I would encourage you to notice the way that Jesus prays in particular, right? Jesus doesn't just pray when he's spiritually close to God. In fact, if you read through the Gospels, it's kind of just the opposite. It, Jesus sort of seeks out prayer as a refuge in the midst of difficult times, right? He prays when he's vulnerable. He prays when he's fearful. He prays when he's stressed out. And then he encourages us to follow suit, right? Watch and pray so that you do not fall into temptation. And this can all sound very churchy, and like to some extent it is, But at its core, it's the reminder that prayer isn't just for those times when we feel particularly close to God. Instead, prayer is that place where even Jesus can fall on his face, bury his face in God the Father during the times where he was stressed, he was having a difficult time, he was scared. Same is true for us as well. So for us, I would say prayer is for each moment, right? Prayer is for the kitchen when we are struggling to get dinner on the table, Prayer is for worship when we are caught up in the music and feeling close to God. Prayer is for joyful times of celebration with friends and family around us. And then prayer is also part of our difficult times as well. Prayer is part of those times when we're doing things that we don't like to do, like visiting loved ones in the hospital, this sort of thing. And today, I think this is a great analogy and a great way of, a lens of looking at this particular problem. Jesus prays, And he says something we're not used to hearing. He says, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And there's something kind of alarming about the fact that Jesus is sorrowful, even to death. The fact that he's deeply troubled in this way. 
And it reminded me a little bit of, I've been watching the show with my wife, this fictional comedian's uh, line about dealing with difficult situations and the disarming vulnerability that we're confronted with in her lives. She's visiting her father-in-law in the hospital, and then she gives this, this wonderful bit I'll, I'll read to you, relay to you here. She says, I'm going to go back there, the hospital, as soon as I'm done here, and I'll spend the night watching all the men in my life completely fall apart while eating jello. And it's really startling, actually, because we're always told, your daddy's little girl. Daddy will protect you. Wait till your father gets home. And then your father walks into a hospital, and he turns into a 10-year-old girl who just had a frog put down her dress. And it's alarming. It's disorienting. I'm sure you can all think of a moment when you were completely caught off guard by that level of sorrow and vulnerability. And how much more alarming is it when the Son of God joins us in this kind of disorienting sorrow? How scared do we feel knowing that even Jesus, too, cried at the passing of his friend Lazarus. How worried are we when we hear the Son of God cry out in anguish from the cross? These are fundamental, difficult questions that we wrestle with as Christians. And I would say, here's the reminder today. Prayer is for moments especially like these. Prayer is God standing alongside of us, immersing himself in our sorrow, And then perhaps, and this is the the part that I think is really tricky, but it's so important if we can get it. Maybe God is sanctifying our sorrow, making it holy and oriented towards him. Not sorrow for its own sake, suffering for suffering's sake, but instead, by immersing himself in our sorrow, he's guiding us to then see the way he takes that sorrow with him to the cross, right? So now... I would say our suffering can look toward the suffering Savior who joins us in moments like that. And that's where we can see Jesus actually do something about it in some sense, right? He can take our humility, our tears, our troubles, bring them toward the cross. And then in the resurrection, it's that place where we're promised that our sorrows, our tears, our pain is not forever, but in fact, they'll be transformed into joy, into songs of praise. That's the resurrection hope. That's the Christian hope that one day we will join our Savior in those joyful shouts. So prayer reminds us then to embrace the moment, right? To feel what you're feeling in all of its complexity. And then remember that it's not the end. That's not the final word and that's not the final say. Instead, there's a greater hope that takes place in the life of the Christian. And that's the resurrection joy that we each carry with us. But for now, we're left with our moment-to-moment routine. We're left with the prayerful life of the Christian, that pattern that I mentioned of blessing and then of sending. Today, we've been blessed by the word. We'll be blessed by sacrament as well, by Christ's body and blood, which we're about to receive in communion. And then we'll be given a benediction. A benediction is literally ascending on our way. And what I love, too, about St. James here is that we borrow from the uh, Book of Common Prayer, where they end their service, we too end our service, with this dismissal. Go in peace, serve the Lord. You're sent on your way with a reminder that our calling as a Christian hasn't ended when we've left the sanctuary. Instead, it's really just begun, right? We've been blessed, and now we exit the sanctuary in order to bless others. And I would hope that we leave encouraged, especially today, in our daily tasks that we go out to undertake and to be a part of when we leave the sanctuary. Hopefully we can see the tiny minutiae, the daily routines of our lives as something that is sanctified, something that's redeemed, something that's given to us 
so that through the mechanism of what we already do, these things can become prayerful activities wherein God breathes his mercy into his people and molds us into who we should be through those tasks, those gifts that he's already given us. Amen.